As we come now before the very word of God, it's no surprise now that we're in the book of Genesis in chapter 1. The last two weeks, we just looked at the first two verses, and now we finally get to creep a little further in. Uh, This will be in just a moment in Genesis chapter 1. But before we read, would you please pray with me? Our great God, we know that you have authority over over all things because you are the author of all things. Uh, Lord, help us in this time to submit, submit ourselves to you with humility and gladness. Guide our hearing, our engaging, our believing these things by your Holy Spirit. Help us to know you and to love you for all that you are. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Genesis in chapter 1. We'll begin here in verse uh, 3 and take up a number of verses after that. So Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. On the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. This is the word of God. Now, we've entered here into the first days, at least the first three days, of God's good creation. And here, this morning, we're going to focus particularly on the theme here of order. We're going to look at the order we find here. Let me remind us briefly of where we are first before we get into the thick of it. Last week, uh, we looked at the, at the time, if we can call it uh, that, the time before the days, that in the beginning, 
there was some sort of creation act. That, that, that God in some way, in some form, created the heavens and the earth. And the earth, as he created it, was initially formless and void. In other words, it was not just a blank slate, but it was a, a waste and a wild, a, a briar and a barren, a, a confusion and a chaos. And so now as the days begin in these ordered Days. This is God's response to the initial chaos. We should note, or I should note, that the description of chaos in the beginning was pretty common in the ancient world. A lot of the ancient uh, narrative accounts of how we all came to be, many of them told about how, how the world and man and even the gods themselves often were born out of chaos. And, and in some, many of those other ancient accounts, that chaos continued in the process of creation. So there's an ancient Babylonian epic that we still have called the Enuma Elish. Uh, you can find it anywhere, public domain, it's, it's, it's old. And in this account, it's very uh, long, but it tells about this original battle of the gods and how the world came to be. And according to them, there was this storm god, Marduk, uh, who, who has uh, this run-in with the sea goddess Tiamat, and he crushes her with a hammer. Uh, let me read you a part of this. It's very exciting and very gory, and if you like gore, well, I'll let you read the goriest parts yourselves. Let me spare you that, but I'll read you just this bit uh, where we hear about how we got the sky. Marduk split the monster Tiamat's cadaver and made marvelous things, severing it up the middle, flaying it in half like a drying fish, one half of which he thrust up to make the vault of the heavens, and he drew a gate in front of it and put into the care of a guardian her waters which were bounded so that they might not surge free. It's part of another alternative ancient creation account. This is uh, uh, where, um, where the sky then, according to them, is made of half of one of the gods' body, which has been uh, cut in half like, like a, a fish fillet. So you can hear how in their creation account, there is still chaos in the midst of creation. Now, Genesis is speaking here in some ways that are similar to these other surrounding narratives, intentionally so, dialoguing with them in some ways. So there are some similarities, but in general, it's not a comparison with these others, it's a contrast, it's different, that in Genesis we see this initial con uh, chaos, yes, but the chaos is purposefully formed by one God, commanded by one God, and is obedient to this one God. Chaos in Genesis is not a feature of the text. It's present, but it's just a footnote. There's a passing mention of the initial formlessness. So creation in Genesis is not, is not characterized by conflict or cadavers or crushing with hammers in any forms. It, it's characterized mainly by God Speaking, that we hear the repeated refrain to open the days, and God 
said as he begins to order the heavens and the earth over the span of six days. Now, there's a lot of discussion about how exactly God went about ordering these things. There's uh, especially a lot of the debate surrounds the word uh, day, that there are six days here. There's various views about how we, we should understand these days rightly according to how the author intended. Those are important conversations. I hold views of the days myself, but, but, but we don't need to go into those discussions or settle on a particular view. I will say, just briefly, that there are many faithful, intelligent, God-honoring, Bible-believing people who hold different views of the days, and that's okay. You know, they're not trying to change the Bible to fit with science or nature or some cultural mode. We might love science and nature and culture, but that's not our main concern here. These people are trying, we're trying to, to listen to what the Bible means to say. And while the Bible is very clear about some things, clear about God's sovereignty, clear about our sin, clear about our need for Jesus to redeem us back to God, clear of all those things, it's less clear about other matters, as the age of the earth and and the exact meaning of the days. And so there's freedom to disagree here about the, the finer points of the days. Regardless of the difference, that's all I'll say about that. Regardless of the differences of the various views, there are some general agreements that we can really hold on to, places where we can stake our flag. Almost all scholars and Christians who study these sorts of things, who are trying to hold to the scripture, agree here that there is in the days a rhythm to creation. That is, that there is a clearly intended pattern or order to the days, and that that ordering is part of the God-given beauty of creation. To say there's a rhythm doesn't mean the events didn't really happen. That's not what we mean. It just means the rhythm is reflective of the way that this creation happened by God's hand or speaking. We can hear some of those rhythmic elements in the phrases that are repeated throughout the days, especially when you hear it read out loud. We hear, and God said. We hear, and it was so. We hear, and God saw that it was good. We hear, and it was evening, and it was morning the first day, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. It almost gives it a sort of song-like quality that there's a series of verses that we're returning to. This rhythm in Genesis 1 is not just about the, the phrases used in the days, but also in the contents of these days and the way that they're, they're arranged. So even people who disagree, generally there's agreement here as well that these creation days are bundled into two groups. So day seven gets a category of its own. The day of the Lord's rest, we'll get there in time. But days one through three are a group. They're the days we're looking at today. And then days four through six are also a group. Each group is rounded off on days three and six with what's called a double fiat 
if you like technical things, meaning there's a double decree, a double command, that, that these are the only days in which God says twice. The other days he just speaks once. So let's bundle them together. But if we look closely, the contents of each group of days, they map onto each other. This is the sort of thing that works much easier visually. You know, if I had a nice big screen back here, we could see it easier. Let me attempt to explain this verbally. And if you go, I'm not sure that I got that, well, it's okay. Give me two minutes and then I'll pick you back up on the, on the swing back around. Here's kind of how it structures. Day, day one, the focus in day one is upon light. And then in day four, in the, the second grouping, the focus there is not upon light, but upon the luminaries, the light bearers, the sun, the moon, and the stars that are over the light. You get a similar sort of structure. Day two, the focus is on the sky and the division of waters. And then in day five, we get a focus on the birds and the fish, the ones who are over the sky and the waters. In day three, we get the, the land and the plants. And then day six, we get the land animals and man, who are over the land and the plants. There's a very clear sort of rubric, pattern, rhythm to these creation days as they're described. So I could summarize it like this. Here's where I get to pick you back up if I lost you. In days one through three, God is establishing the realms. And then in days four through six, God establishes the rulers over those realms. So today, we'll, we'll look at all those rulers in later weeks, but today, we just want to soak in the reality of the whole thing, that God is the creator here, and he has clearly created with order. It just takes a pair of eyes to see it. Not just in the scripture, order oozes out of nature. Even in a broken nature, we can see the, the geometric symmetry of a succulent plant. You could see the sort of concentric circles made by spiders and their webs. We can, we can see the, the, the intricate crystalline hexagon shapes that come from snowflakes, the, the predictable phases of the moons, the tra predictable travel of the stars in the sky, even down to our very DNA which would take a microscope to see, we could see the finely ordered helix in the structure of our very fabric of our being. So when the Psalms say that the heavens declare the glory of God and, and, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork, Nature proclaims the glory of God, not just his beauty, yes, that, not just his beauty, not just his intricacy, not just his, his majesty, it's his handiwork. That is the way that he has ordered all things that are. So God's work in, in Genesis 1 comes in boxes. Genesis 1 comes in boxes. Not like boxes of Legos, 
that you dump out on the floor and then step on in the middle of the night, like boxes on a calendar, where it's day by day by day. Our God is ordered. Now, some of you here are really digging this. I am singing your song. You're thinking, yes, I love order. I love boxes. I prefer routine. My spice rack is alphabetized. My email file folders are all organized and set together. Checklists are my best friend, maybe second only to my label maker. And I never have to look for that other shoe because I always keep my shoes together. Some people are like that. Others, not so much, you know. For, for other people, the, the hearing about the order here we, it bring, might bring a different sort of response. You know, structure and boxes might feel like, like, like an enemy, you know, that I can just never seem to get things in order. Or maybe I don't even want everything in order, right? Some people have the sort of soul of an artist, of, of an adventurer who like things to be spontaneous and wild and free, and who wants boxes anyway? You know, both of these types, either the, the person who likes to follow set paths or the person who likes to blaze wild and fresh tra trails, each of those can be lived in ways that are holy or unholy. So do not hear me say here that our God of order somehow likes the personality of the ordered person more than the other, smiles on the ordered person more than the spontaneous person. That's not the intent here. But I will say that both of these types of people all of us really still need and even want order, just maybe in different ways, right? So, so let's, take, let's take an example of music. We do a lot of music here know some of us how to, how to do music. I'm still kind of learning some things. So, you know, like a symphony, you know what a symphony is, how it works. There's, there's specific instruments who play specific notes at specific times, and if everybody does that, then what we get is beautiful music. It's highly ordered, almost rigorously so. So that's how a symphony goes. It's different if you play in a jazz band. This is music, but of, of a very different type. There's no, there's no score of notes in the same way. Musicians can kind of jump in and jump out. In fact, someone can show up late to a jazz band session, open up their, their instrument, and just kind of jump in in the middle. Uh, there's improvisation often in jazz music, but it is still very ordered. Jazz players need to learn to be in sync in their key, in their volume, in their rhythm. You know, have you ever listened to um, Ella Fitzgerald? 
figure if I use a classic reference, at least a few of us will know this. Ella Fitzgerald, who uh, is famous for singing scat. You know, the, the uh, doobie, 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 doobie. I'm not even going to try because I can't uh, do it. It'll just kind of look silly. But uh, it, it's, it's improv jazz singing with syllables and not actual words. You know, it's just kind of snippets of words, it sounds like. And, and it, it's different every time she sings a song. Even when she's singing the same song, it comes out differently. Now, whether you enjoy scat music or not, that's not the point. You can at least recognize that there is an order to this, a way to do this. If you've ever tried to scat, first of all, I want to hear it, uh, but if you've ever tried to scat, you know it's very, very difficult to do and not sound silly doing it. It requires practice and skill and a high sort of order. Otherwise, what comes out isn't music, it's just noise and nonsense. That's not only true in music, right? Same is true in sports. You know, we have some games that are very, very regulated, lots of rules. So if I'm watching March Madness, go KU. Uh, if I'm watching March Madness, there's rules, there's referees, there's whistles blown if you break the rules and all those sorts of things. Even the same game, basketball, others are less regulated. If I'm playing, say, a pickup game of basketball in my driveway, which I don't have a hoop, but if we got a hoop, I guess we have a child's hoop. And, and there's just, there might be fewer rules there, there's no actual referee, but in both of those situations, whether it's basketball on TV or in my driveway, both still need and want order to function. You know, if someone in the pickup game of basketball brought their own basketball and kept it in their pocket, I guess a big pocket, and, and pulled it out every time someone the opponent stole the, the game ball and just said, well, I've got my own ball, and just decided they're just going to shoot their own, you know, we would say, that's, uh, that's cheating. <laughs> uh, and this isn't fun. That's not how this goes. I mean, I know we don't have any referees, but if we do that, it's not even really basketball anymore, right? You know? Whether it's highly structured or not, in order to play the game, there must be some sort of order, and even a common understanding of that order, or else all we have is just chaos. Genesis 1, then, is showing us how God orders, particularly the realms of nature the earth, the sea, the skies, and so on. But it's more than just that. In Genesis 1, he is laying the groundwork upon which he builds, the foundation upon which we even order the very fabric of our society, even now. You know, order is what gives us meaning in any of our words. Without it, we can't communicate. Order is what offers us access to, to water, plumbing even. Order is, is what tells us what side of the road to drive on so that we don't crash into each other. Order is at the very center of civilization, 
It is necessary for us. And, and even though we know that some ordered ways can vary from place to place, if we were to go to England, they drive on the left side and not the right, there are other ordered ways that come from God himself that don't vary from culture to culture, but are, but are for all people and all times in Scripture. This is his ordering of that which is good and evil. The evil of sin, then, is disobedience to God, yes. Sin is offense to God, yes, bringing the wrath of God, needing Jesus to atone for that. It's also, sin is also just disorder, an unordering of things. Every sin is a return to chaos. Order then touches all parts of our lives. We are created this way. It's even touching what we're doing right now. There is some description in the Bible of the way that God would order our, our worship, our gathered worship. It doesn't tell us that there's only one way to gather on Sundays. You know, there's a lot of freedom of this. If you've been to other churches and worship gatherings, you know there's different things. Some play different instruments and do things in a different order. The Bible gives us lots of freedom to do that. But it does tell us that there ought to be some order here in our worship. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul talks about this. And he, he's speaking not just to the Corinthians, but to all churches and their worship. And he says, all things, specifically in regard to worship, all things should be done decently and in order. Now, the order may vary from place to place. For us, we have a very specific order of worship that we call liturgy. You know, the bulletins that we follow... This is your ordered guide to worship to help us. This is not just arbitrary placement of things to see where something will fit. All of this is very intentional to guide us in the way that we sing to God, the prayers that we lift before God, the confession of sin that we make before God, the teaching that would come from God. All of this is ordered together so that we don't speak over each other, say. We're either speaking or singing together with one heart, and one voice, or we're speaking sort of in turn to guide us who's going to speak when and for what particular purpose. The goal of this order, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, the goal of this order is the building up or the encouragement of the church. But the reason, that's the goal, is to build us up. The reason for our order of worship is grounded in God. He says this, if, if I lost you there, come back, listen to this. He says this in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. He says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Did you hear this? God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Now, it's interesting how he words this. He could have said, God's not a God of confusion, but a God of order. 
That would make sense. That would be true and fitting. But he says, not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. This is important. In the Bible, order is equated with peace. Did you hear me? In the Bible, order is equated with peace, which means order is not just about rules. Order is about harmony. So in the beginning, God created these various realms and rulers. And here, God is not just creating substance. He's not just creating order. He's creating peace. It's no wonder, then, that when he finishes in each day, he looks upon his creation and sees that it's good. Now, before we end, I've just noted that Scripture equates peace with order. I want to take just a few moments to note a few things that Scripture does not equate with order. I know I'm running close on time. I'm aware. Okay, this won't take long. I'll do this decently in order. I've got four things that Scripture does not equate with order. I'll be brief with them uh, as well as I can. These are four things that are not the same as order. The first is this. Order is not the same as tidiness or neatness. Order is not the same as tidiness. I'll give you an example from the creation. When God brings on the third day uh, the earth to produce vegetation, we see plants and, 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 and trees arise according to their, their kind and they sprout all over the land. They don't pop up in nice, neat rows as if these trees had been put there in a greenhouse or some sort of orchard. They are ordered, but they are not tidy. Now, some people might prefer tidiness, and that can be fine, but we need to recognize that tidiness on its own is not a virtue. A messy house, for example, may still be ordered. And a, and a tidy house may still be disordered. Take some wisdom to sift through that. But remember that part of the measure of order is the, is the peace that it brings. So, so if in your home, a tidy home, you find one thing out of place and that makes you irate, that's not a sign of order, that's a sign of disorder. That's not peace, that's perpetually sitting on the brink of chaos. Order is not the same as tidiness, that's the first. Second, order is not the same as equality things being equal or the same. Order is not the same thing as equality. In the days, we see God separate again and again. He separates light and dark. He separates day and night. He separates the waters above in the clouds and the waters below in the seas. And each of these are, are different. That separation is part of the ordering 
Now, there's a separation, a kind of separation that's not good. You know, that's usually when there's a separation in order to pit one against the other or to discriminate between one or the other. That's what made, you know, the, the ideas of separate but equal, that, that's what made them sort of a, a racist failure. That's a not good separation. But there's a kind of separation that is good, which is to be able to distinguish between things to recognize their different needs and purposes. So in Genesis, the idea of order is less about, you know, putting my ducks in a row, things that are all equal and the same. It's more about distinguishing my ducks from my chickens, recognizing their differences and responding to each in kind. Order is not the same as equality. Here's the third. Order is not the same thing as perfection. It's not the same thing as perfection. Now, I know this might be a category buster, but this, this is not to suggest that, that creation is in any way flawed or broken or there's suffering or some sort of major tragedy, oopsie, that needs to be fixed, or that there's sin in the original creation. There's not. But we should notice here that the text calls this original creation that God made good. Very good, even, at points. It's a creation in shalom, creation in peace. But it doesn't use the word perfect, at least not in the ways that we think about perfection. You know, we often have unexamined eyes, uh, ideas of, of perfection, at least I'm sure I do as well, that are tailored more to our own preferences, and then we map those onto the text. Somehow creation was perfect as I imagine it, so maybe we think of creation with grass that only grows so high and then just kind of automatically stops on its own. Hair that only grows so long and then sort of automatically stops on its own. Or that, that flies in creation, whatever that looked like, just probably didn't buzz. You know, that sound that drives you nuts in your house, whatever, wasn't there. Or, or that, you know, there was probably no sweat or body odor if I sat in the sun too long. Or, or that somehow in creation, bread baked itself and the grapes dropped off the vine directly into my mouth. You know, whatever we think of, we map that onto the text. But if we actually look and listen to the text, we see that man was not created just to rollick and play in creation. He, he's the ruler of creation, put to work and keep it. The emphasis in Genesis is on goodness, is on order, but not on some arbitrary idea of perfection. Perfectionism, just like tidiness, is not praised in the Bible. Perfectionism is often a source not of peace, but of war. Perfectionism can bring chaos. It is better for us to seek that which is good than to seek that which is perfect. Fourth and finally, Order is not the same thing as God. Order is not the same thing as God. God is ordered, but order is not God. 
That is to say that order comes from God. It's part of his nature, his character, but order itself isn't God. And some people would say, I, yes, of course, we know that order is not God. But listen, we often live otherwise. We often live with order as God and, and are unaware of the idol that we've created in our lives to set up order as God. You know, because if we're honest with ourselves at all, we're, we're aware of our own disordered lives. If you take an honest look, we can see our own struggles, our own failures, our own mess, our own chaos, our own sin. And then in response to that, we might think, you know, I'm going to get my act together. You know, I'm going to set it all right. I'm going to, to sort it out. I'm going to get myself in order. Do you hear the idol in that? I'm going to get myself in order. Something is missing there. God is missing there. And in his place, we've set up order as God. Order is good. It's good. It's a gift of God. Order brings life and peace. But if you seek order for its own sake, you will miss it. The gospel of God is not that we look to order, but that we look to the Lord. We seek his face, and we trust and ask him that he would be the one to order our lives, to order our days, and he will answer. Pray with me. Our great God, help us to desire you above all things, that you would be our great love and treasure. Help us to always listen and follow you. And as we submit to your order and your ways, help us to be challenged and comforted by it. Would you shape us we know that you are good, and what you do is good. So we give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.